Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska, and this is today's Bible class. A short, only about a 13-minute Bible study, but every day, seven days a week, keeping us in God's Word and thereby helping keep us focused on our spiritual lives and upon a relationship with God. Help people in your life, and you know some, who need to turn their lives around, their focus in their lives toward God, toward their spiritual lives, help them by sharing these short studies with them every day through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Share with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody get to heaven. A great blessing for them and for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today and every day with everybody you can. We're going to get back into our line of thought and study talking about another heart trouble, another problem of the heart. And again, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18. The things which proceed out of the mouth, or we might say the things which we do in action. What does he say? Where do they come from? They proceed out of the mouth. They come from the heart, and they defile a man. And we're not talking about just words that are bad words or words that are spoken improperly. He goes on and says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. These are the things which defile a man. And what is the seedbed for those bad thoughts, those bad actions, those bad language, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it? Jesus said, it's our heart. It's the condition of our heart. Not that muscle beating in our chest, but our very being, our soul, our morality, our mindset. We condition our heart that then becomes reflected by that conditioning. You look at a person who's living a righteous life, he's conditioned his heart to live a righteous life. That's his mindset. That's his purpose in life. That's natural for him. You look at a person who continually does evil things, wicked things, sinful things, uses vulgar language all the time, does not have any time for church, the Bible, somebody to talk to him about his soul. Nah, they don't want to hear about that. He just wants, and he lives in all kinds of sinfulness, all kinds of wickedness. That's because he's conditioned his heart to live that way, to think that way. How is your heart? How are you conditioning it right now? And don't say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've been this way all my life. Ah, there's, no, there's no changing now. Yeah, yeah, God can help you change. He'll help you if you come to him and seek his help. Well, forgiveness is the particular heart problem we're looking at in this particular line of thought and study. We've already talked about several other heart problems or problems of the heart, such as laziness, gossip, worry, hatred, and now unforgiveness. Again, is there anybody in your life that you're refusing to forgive right now because of something they've done to you? at least in your mind, they've done something really bad, and, and you cannot bring yourself to forgive them. I've said a number of times, I know a man who, who has refused to be baptized for the remission of his sins because 
He hates a particular person and cannot let that go. Now, let's calculate that forward. What does that mean? He's risking eternity in hell because he cannot stop hating a person in this life. Makes no sense, does it? Makes no sense. Now, is that where you're at? Are you holding a grudge against someone? Are you holding bitterness towards somebody because they've done something to you and you can't let go of that? You can't forget it? You can't forgive them of it? Even maybe if they've asked you. Is that where you're at? Over and over again in numerous texts, we've already read that Jesus teaches if we want God to forgive us, then we have to be ready to forgive others who have sinned against us. We are all standing in incredible need for God's forgiveness. We need his forgiveness because of our sinfulness. If we want him to forgive us, Jesus says over and over, Luke 11, verse 4, Matthew 6, verse 12, verses 14 and 15, Mark 11, 25 and 26, Luke 6 and verse 37, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, and, and I'm sure we could go on. Jesus said, if you want God's forgiveness, you have to be ready to forgive. How about it? Are you ready? When Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? Jesus said, uh, no, Peter, 70 times seven. And I think that was simply a number that was not to be taken hard and fast. Like Peter could say, okay, I've forgiven you 349 times now. You haven't got that many times? No, no. Jesus was saying, you always forgive as long as they seek your forgiveness properly. In the parable of a king, or in the parable, a king confronts a servant, and that's going back to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, as we read last time. And in this parable, a king confronts a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I said, if you calculate that in today's currency, this was an insurmountable debt that this servant owed the king. So what am I talking about? If talents in view were of silver, the estimated equivalent in today's currency could be anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500 or more per talent. So depending on the current rate of inflation, by the most conservative figure, the servant owed that king $10 million. $10 million. Now that's if the talents were in silver. If the talents were of gold, then the figure would be <laughs> almost unimaginable. The figure is probably intended to impress upon the reader the reality that there is virtually no way for the servant to ever have been able to repay his debt to that king. But the king was ready to have that servant, his wife and his children and all of his possessions sold in order to recoup a part. And it would have been just a part, probably a small part of what that servant owed him. When the king or when the man pleaded with the king for patience and promised that he would pay him everything, a promise that he almost certainly could never keep the king had compassion upon him 
and completely forgave him this debt totally. Verses 23 through 27 of Matthew chapter 18. Now, having been forgiven an overwhelming debt, that servant then confronted a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, a sum equal to less than $100 in today's currency. Now remember, a conservative figure would have said that first servant owed his king at least $10 million. And if it was, if the talents were in gold, far beyond that. And here's a fellow servant who apparently owed this first servant less than $100. And so how did he treat his fellow servant? The other servant made the same plea as his fellow servant had made before the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. But instead of showing similar compassion as had been shown him, the first servant had this other servant who owed him such a comparatively small sum of money thrown into prison, verses 28 through 30. Now, when the king was told what the servant whom he had forgiven of that insurmountable debt, what that servant had done to his fellow servant, oh my, he challenged that first servant. He said, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Subsequently, he rescinded his forgiveness of that servant's debt and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him, verses 31 through 34. The closing verse of this account drives home the lesson for us. Jesus said, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Hmm. The Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23. That, again, that parable was an illustration. Who is the king supposed to represent? God. Who is the servant supposed to represent? Us. We're the sinners need in need of God's forgiveness always. What about that second servant? Just another, another fellow human being. Maybe a friend, a family member, a work associate, somebody we've loaned some money to. Or somebody who owes us something. Maybe simply somebody who wants us to forgive him of some sin we've, he's committed against us. And God holds us responsible to forgive just as he is ready to forgive us when we properly seek his forgiveness. The Apostle Paul states, again, the wages of sin is death. As we turn to God through our Lord for forgiveness of our sins, we are falling upon his grace, begging for his compassion, for his mercy, asking him to remove the spiritual death penalty due to our sins. And there is no way that we, by any power or authority inherent within ourselves, can remove that penalty on our own. Only God, in his compassion and mercy and grace, can forgive us and thereby remove us, remove from us the death penalty for our own sins. 
having thus received his forgiveness, how can we possibly, in good conscience, withhold forgiveness from another person who seeks our forgiveness properly for some wrong he or she has done to us? As God bestows his mercy upon us, he expects us to extend mercy to others. And that's the short and the sweet of it, the long and the short, the black and the white of it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, Matthew 5 and verse 7. If we fail or refuse to show mercy to others, we cannot expect God to show mercy to us. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2 and verse 13. We need to learn that lesson. And we need to implement it into our lives regularly and consistently. Let's pray. Father, help us to be merciful and gracious to others who have wronged us and seek our forgiveness. Please, Father, forgive us, we pray. Please, Father, forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.